For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. So how did the how did the the truck building business come about originally? Um, I think it kind of started with uh, buying and selling used trucks, and used trucks went to mounting new mixers onto uh, trucks, and then building parts, and then the parts went for building mixers, and it kind of developed. It started. I think we built the first mixer back in. 76. 1976, yeah. Yeah, my uh, my dad was in the ready-mix business is how it started. When we grew up, we were kids, we were in ready-mix business. Yeah. Well. So we've always had the ready-mix background, more or less. And uh, like I say, when that's I ended up spinning off in back into the ready-mix business. So it's been a kind of a big full circle that uh, I've been involved with. So you guys, you originally in the ready-mix business, needed obviously ready-mix trucks, and you were yeah. just buying used trucks tinkering well, around with them not necessarily not necessarily it's kind of a story it was a side business uh you know it's very seasonal side business and uh remix business here in minnesota obviously summertime's predominant you're pouring concrete uh, my father uh, very ambitious guy and um he started buying and selling used trucks and that spun into buying new mixers and putting them on trucks and selling the package Gotcha. And then we went to manufacturing components and parts on plants or trucks, and we ended up building our own mixture eventually. Yeah, huh. he, um, he basically went to buy his first, you know, he had one used truck and needed to buy another one. And back then, of course, there wasn't the communications we have today. And so he, um, he, was, uh, he went to buy a truck from a gentleman, and they agreed on a price, and he went back, and he couldn't find a bank that would loan him the money. And he went from bank to bank. And when he finally found a bank that loaned him the money, he went back to buy, buy the truck and the pet man had passed away. And the, the widow was there and said that she was going to go to, she was going to take it all to auction. And so basically uh, my dad went to the auction with the, with the money he thought he could buy a mixer truck for. And they're auctioning off in lots of three. And he bought three for the price he thought he was going to have to pay for one. Huh. Went back and advertised, told his friends about it, sold his two for the price he paid for all three of them. And basically wow. got his for free and thought about, well, I can do this more. I can do more of this. And and uh, in the wintertime, of course, in Minnesota, you're not pouring concrete back then anyway. And um, so bar- buying and selling used trucks. My brothers and I, one of our first jobs was just uh, picking up the parts and because uh, they were manufacturing parts for mixers. And we rented a part. Part of it was a manufacturing plant and part was a chicken coop. Yep. And uh, my brother and I, our job after school, and I mean, we're, he's, I'm eight and he's six. We're going, to the, we're going to work right after our kindergarten and first grade, and we're picking feathers off the paint and then carrying. A little older than that, actually. I thought I was, I was eight. <laughs> you were, you were, so you're about six. <laughs> and we just, because, you know, that's what we did. I mean, that's what it took, you know, back then. And, uh, Worked in the ready. Worked. Uh, worked in the business. Pulling chicken feathers out of paint. Out of paint. <laughs> One of our first jobs. So you guys have been working since you could almost walk. Well, yeah. pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. <clears throat> but that's the, okay. Uh, that's good. On the on the truck building, when did it start to when did it start to grow? I mean, how many years were there before it started to actually grow into something? We've been in. Um, I guess it'd be the construction business on had our facilities indefinite. I mean, this went on and on. We, additions and so on. We started out eight bays, 
excuse me, four, four, four bays, small, four, four bays, bays, four yeah. bays in her office. And then the four bays went to eight bays and then a small manufacturing building on building parts. And then it just more or less grew, kind of grew every year. So when we, when we sold the business, we had 13 acres under roof at our main plant. What we're putting out for the trucks. We're putting out about 160 units a week just wow. out of our facility. Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, we were, we were really blessed. We, um, we grew, um, it was an era that came and went in our country, and we also supplied a niche. You know, one of the problems you run into is when you were buying, uh, you were in used trucks, and then that kind of went into new trucks. But the problem that went into new trucks was that um, uh, if you wanted to buy a mixer truck back then, uh, it would take you anywhere from 10 months to 12, 14 months to get a, a mixer truck because you have to order the truck, then order the mixer, put the two together, and then get mm -hmm. ready to pour concrete. Sure. Well, back then um, – you know, if you know what, if those that are in the construction business, when you bid a job for, uh, let's say, an office building or a big project, one of the first things you do is you dig the hole and then you pour footings. Well, so you need concrete mixers pretty quickly. Sure. So the problem you had is that if a person could not uh, get uh, concrete equipment, they couldn't bid these big jobs. So what my dad would do, because he was a small ready mix producer at the time, is he would buy Ford trucks by T.L. Smith Mixers, put the two together in package and advertise ready to go. There you go. Yep. So that way, if you wanted to bid a job, you could you could buy them from my dad, and and uh, and you could pour that and you could pour that job. It's kind of a niche in marketing. You can yeah. maintain, maintain inventory that you could obtain and use, as opposed to you know a delay of potentially six months to get your product to get your product so what it basically did is it leveled out the playing field mm -hmm. for the small producer and the big producer to bid the bid these big jobs in this in these cities because they could get the equipment from from um, from our family back in the day so there was still that mix between small and and big producers because i yes. know now it's a lot of markets are dominated by these these monster multi-billion dollar organizations. It yes was, and no, it, it's changed. You still have them out there, but there's more consolidation. Sure. Um, it's similar to the family farm to a certain degree. If you look at it from that aspect, um, family farm used to be predominantly 280 acre sections, at least in the upper Midwest here. Mm -hmm. Now you just don't have it. So you got a lot more consolidation, but you still have independent mom pop operations, although it's, it's further and fewer in between. I think we're seeing the remix business today as you're seeing less small plants that are scattered throughout the country and more plants that are larger. Uh, you don't see little plants in towns as, as often and pretty much predominantly somewhat vertically integrated if they have their own rock or sand or potentially tied into a, a Portland manufacturer. Of sure. Water. When did, when did the trucks become, when, when did the, the brand actually come about? When were they, McNeilis and you guys were, were off on your own. 1976. Yeah. So that, that's when, so that's so when we before, built our first concrete okay. mixer. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. It was in 1976. And that was, you were leveraging all of the expertise you had had from all the years prior. No, yeah, no, I not really. Uh, Just what happened, it up. No, what happened <laughs> was, is that um, uh, to buy trucks, uh, Ford Motor Company at the time, uh, they, um, what they would do is they would take an order and we'd buy, let's say a hundred trucks and I'm going to use a round number, a yeah. hundred trucks. And then every month we get 10 trucks put into the factory and brought through the factory. You take the hundred price, hundred price. Yeah, we get price a price for a hundred. Yeah. And then we, every month they would put 10, they would build 10 of the trucks for 10 months. And I'm just being, giving you the numbers as it could have been plus or minus that. And uh, what happened was, is there was a car accident at uh, the Ford plant and the person in charge of production was out for a long extended period of time. And another person came in and they saw these trucks, uh, these orders in this desk, because back then it was before all the computers. And uh, so all of a sudden we had 75 trucks in our yard. Yep. We, wow. were building, we were building drums and parts at the time, replacement parts. Replacement parts. So we were Pretty close to be able to put to manufacture the drum and the components front and rear pedestal fenders. And we were a um, T.L. Smith production yep. uh, 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 dealer yeah. at the time. Right. And so my dad went to uh, T.L. Smith and said, look, I'm in trouble. I have 75 trucks. We can't afford 75 and trucks. There was a time frame on their floor plan over a window of yeah. time. that They had to pay for them over a certain amount of days, depending on which trucks they were, how the deal was made. 
but there was a time bomb that we need to turn them into money. Money. Sure. Otherwise, we, we we didn't have we didn't have the money to do that. So my dad went to T.L. Smith and said, "Look, I need mixers," and uh, they said, "We can't give you any more mixers than the ten a month that he had already scheduled to buy, you know, to put on the trucks as they came into production." And uh, they they said, "Well, we can't do any more mixers than what we're giving you." And my dad said, "Well, look, I'm building some parts. How about if I build some of the parts?" You ship me some of the other parts, and I can assemble it and get get through my problem wow. of getting rid of these trucks. And the guy came around the conference room, tapped my dad on the chest, and said, "Sonny, if you're so smart, go build your own concrete mixer." <laughs> and um, that's what we did. Uh, we didn't have a choice. Kind of forced in a corner. Forced in a corner. I mean, literally, sixty days later, we had our first mixer out. Really? Yeah. Yep. We, we had, like, say, manufacturing with yeah. good people. We did have some good, really good, good team. Good team. Of yeah. People, but, you know, had a lot of talent to do it. So it was, wow. Uh, mm-hmm. So you just did it out of necessity almost. Yeah. It was yeah. A, <laughs> stay alive. Survival. <laughs> survival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and during, while all this was going on, you still had the ready mix business, nope. the, the previous, or was that gone? No, yeah, it was gone. He sold that. Yeah. He sold that to his, uh, to his Chuck, uh, Walters. Chuck Walters. And then eventually when Chuck Walters wanted to pay, but how, how my dad learned the ready mix business is uh, we live in the Mayo Clinic and our grand, our, our grandmother had five open heart surgeries at the Mayo Clinic. Wow. And so my dad was uh, there as a boy. He was there uh, waiting, you know, around his mother who was in the hospital and he was walking by this and they were digging a hole in this building. He yelled down, do you need help? Cause he wanted to have something to do while he was waiting for, my mom, my grandmother in the hospital, and it sure. was to build a, a ready mix plant. Yep. And so he learned the ready mix business by built by uh, coming by and uh, learning learning the ready mix business that through was the same one I bought in 1998. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and then really full circle, and then yeah. my brother bought the ready mix operation long term. Yep. 1998. Yeah, it's interesting. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Come from. Wow. So when did the when did the business uh, you know when did you guys start really marketing the trucks and selling the trucks outside of Minnesota? Well, we we did that. Uh, we always did that. They have wheels. They have wheels, so it's easy to move. Sure. <laughs> you know, basically, we always said uh, a fleet deal was one truck and a Tonka toy, yeah. and uh, you know, so we 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 sold wherever we could. We did kind of do uh, a where we had marketing. So one of the other issues you had in the ready mix industry, it's a small industry. You know, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's 68. Well, back when we owned it, there were 68,000 registered mixer trucks in the United States, roughly, you know, and we, and we, uh, um, so what we did is we had factory direct stores. We didn't use any dealers. Everyone else used dealers to sell their product. So what we did is we set up kind of hubs, in certain parts of the United States that were our, our own stores and they were only mixers. So for an example, we had parts uh, for mixers. So, you know, if you call the dealer, a dealer would, would take and process the paperwork. They'd call the manufacturer, the manufacturer ship it to the dealer, the dealer would ship it to the customer. Well, what we did is we had stores strategically located around the United States and you call an order and we'd ship it the same day. So you get your part in this, like a, like your parts could be literally the next day where our competitors would take maybe a week or two to, uh, to do that. And this is something kind of grew over the years. I think yeah. the first one was Colorado. Colorado was Colorado. the first one. Yeah. Denver, Colorado. And then it was, uh, Dem- Texas, 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 Texas yeah. and then Atlanta, Atlanta Georgia, yeah. South and then Ohio, Ohio. So it kind of, it kind of grew, grew, grew over the years. We different pretty much places. Blanked the Midwest was our primary market. Yeah. So we kind of did the, you know, it's kind of used that old uh, from the book, Good to Great. We didn't know that book existed at the time. Sure. But basically, you know, we did the hedgehog where we, we developed an area, did very well in that area, and then went to the next area and do, did very well in that area and kind of grew around the United States until we covered the United States. And then we went international. And at this time, there were others building mixer trucks. Yeah, there like were nine were. manufacturers when we started and we were number ninth. You know, wow. in the in the industry, and uh, and uh, we were blessed through the years with a great team, and uh, you know, we were very interested. We listened to our customers. Uh, first thing we would do is we bring a customer to our office, and my brother would sit down with them, and myself and my father, and we'd say, "Tell us what you don't like about your mixer. Tell mm-hmm. us what you don't like about our product." And uh, they would tell us, 
I think we had the advantage. We come from ready mix business. Yeah. So we kind of understood how to talk ready mix and understood the needs of the producers. Mm-hmm. And we sit down. Really yeah. And so we'd sit down and they'd tell us what so, they like, what they had a problem with. And literally, um, they w- we'd say, well, how would you fix it? Well, they never usually, most people won't tell you a problem unless they kind of have an idea on how to fix it. Sure. And so they tell us an idea how to fix it. And then we'd have them go through our plant and have a tour. Well, while they're going through the tour, we'd sit down and talk about it. And literally, we would build a prototype of their idea uh, and put it on a product. It depends on what it was. It depends on what it was. But <laughs> normally, we would put it, put, put it on the product. Yep. And so it would be designed onto a product, and then I would fi- I would figure out the pricing and the cost of all that type of thing, and then um, then we- they'd come to our lunch because usually it took about five hours to go through our plant, yeah. and then we'd have lunch with them after they got done with their tour, and we'd say, you know, that idea you got, can we'd like to show you an I- a concept of it, and so we'd take them down and we'd show them a concept of that product. If they have ownership of an idea, you can yeah. really it's good sell. Yeah, and so oh, wow. so uh, they would show us an idea of the product, and they we'd show them the concept of it, and they liked it or they didn't like it. Most of the time, they liked most of it, or we tweak it a little bit. And I'd say, yeah, we can have it on your product in two weeks, and it's going to cost X number of dollars. Wow. And well, uh, what are they going to do? It's their idea and their design, right? And literally, <laughs> though, our, our commitment was, and my brother always said, it, it has our name on it, so we got to build it the best way we know how. And so literally, if we thought it made the product better, we would scrap our parts and incorporate that into the product from that day forward. Yeah, product improvement. Product improvement. Yep. So it'd make between 20 and 30 product changes a year. But they might, all came. Might be little things, but, you know, it's yeah. always, always do something better. And then we, but, but the neat thing about it is they all, all the ideas came from our customers. What were, what were some of those ideas at the time? Like, what were some of the things I didn't um, like? We could go with the vertical chute racks in regards to where the chutes hang on the truck. We could uh-huh. go with uh, swing up hopper lights locations. The driver can see this hopper is not sure. up going down the road. road. Um, controls as far as availability, feeling the controls on the bi-directional. If you look at uh, driving a remix truck on a job, there's two things to worry about. As opposed to operating the truck, you run your chute and you run your drum. That mm-hmm. being said, the drop rater spends a lot of his uh, focus and attention watching his mirrors of the truck. He's pouring off the back of the truck. Yep. So he can reach down on his controls and he can feel braille on which way it, it, it goes and then have the switches on the direction of the material goes. Or if chute goes up, the button goes up. The chute goes down, the button goes down. Or if you have your chute or your drum, your bi-directional controls so you can feel which way the, they're in there different as far as how they're – so you can see it. Um, a lot of little details such as that. Could wow. be water tank accessibility, uh, could be controlled locations on the back, could be the ladder getting up the truck. The, um, ang- the angle of the fin to make sure you get the, yeah. the low slump of the concrete. Could be to how the chutes clean up, how the trucks clean up. Clean up, if, hoppers. Um, you know, as far as uh, cleanability, how fast it charges in it, uh, material hanging up on the charge hopper loading and or discharging. Uh, so there's a lot of variable little things you can pick up and get a lot of ideas from people that use the product. Well, you you think you look at it, you're like, well, that's just a concrete truck, but there's a lot to a concrete truck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's <laughs> like anything, you know. I, I think one thing too, for what it's worth in concrete, actually, pretty sophisticated. If you look at it, you got spirals inside of a drum that actually change as far as shape configuration as they go. In other words, the distance changes, the height changes. So it's a very sophisticated um, corkscrew. Yeah, corkscrew more or less to build to fast. Yeah. So as opposed to building a drum, as opposed to building a dump truck or roll-off box, something that's relatively simple. simple. And I think that's a really a beauty as far as manufacturing the drum. It, it it takes a lot more sophistication to do the drum itself. And also you get your pedestals, there's articulation, oscillation, there's rollers, there's movement in between it. And we haven't even got to the axles and the hydraulics on the bridge masters and so on. Um, and then each truck is different as far as the weight distribution configurations or the center of gravity is the truck on the truck, the mixer. And what's interesting about a drum is as you fill it up, it's like filling up a Coke bottle in on its side. Mm-hmm. As you fill it up, the CG goes further aft. So mm-hmm. that being said, you, your CG is not in the same spot on the same mixer because it makes a difference on the dead weight of the chassis, how much you can put in the drum and or the thickness of the drum. So you take that all in consideration prior to figuring out how to locate the truck on the drum on the truck for optimal oh, weight balance. But so interesting. So in, in, 
you know, there, there's some people that are very familiar with ready mix, concrete, that kind of thing. Some people that listen that, that aren't necessarily as familiar with it. So is the concrete being mixed while the truck's driving down the road? Uh, yes and no. Um, <laughs> and, okay. Generally, there's two different types of plants. One's a wet plant and dry plant. A dry yeah. plant meaning you drop in your rock, your sand, your Portland cement, your water, and you're putting them in generally ribbon feed. You put 80% of your water in the front. That's a dry batch plant, which is probably 80% of the plants out there. The other mm-hmm. plants are called wet plants. Wet plants is a big mixer, bowl that mixes and dumps them where you go. Uh, generally, on a dry batch plant, you do is you pull the truck out of the plant, you give it so many revs on the drum as you're washing out your truck, generally around 60, 70 revs, depending on slump capacity and so forth. And it's mixed, so all you're doing when you're going from point A to point B is agitating the load. In some configurations, it depends on how people operate, they'll batch the concrete, they won't let it slump at the plant, they'll go down the road and they'll let it turn going down the road, which in my opinion is not the proper way to do it. Sure. Because you're throwing your CG and it's just not a good idea. But um, Generally, that's the way ready mix plants operate. Gotcha. Now, I, um, I've i always wondered, I don't mean to get too controversial, you have two kinds of concrete trucks. You have one that is rear discharge, yep. and you like you guys, yep. and then you have front discharge. Yep. And every time I talk about this, and it depends where you're at in the United States, people get pretty fired up. And they say, no, front char- discharge is so much better than rear. Or no, 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 rear is so much better than front. Does it really matter? Which which um, direction? You yeah. know, they both put out the same product, if you look at it from that <laughs> perspective. Sure. Um, what it amounts to a front discharge truck, the intent on a front discharge truck is to be able to place the concrete with the operator to avoid a chute man. So the person's not on the back of the truck with the chute. So the operator determines how he puts his concrete, where he puts it. So he can hydraulically run the chute back and forth, up and down, left and right, and yeah. also operate his truck. Uh, that being said, that is a potential advantage on the job. The other disadvantage is if I'm on the chute pouring concrete, I want to determine where it's going to go because I'm going to be raking if I put it in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. That's the other side of the coin. Um, there's one thing about the front discharge. They're more expensive because the chassis is more uh, uh, expensive. Well, because first of all, it's built backwards. Your transfer box and your engine, everything's backward on it. They have to have an automatic transmission on it. Otherwise, your linkage for your shifting in the back. Um, the drums are more expensive to build. To build. They're more they're more difficult to clean. <clears throat> they don't do as good a job on a low slump concrete. Agitating. They have to basically a longer distance before it comes out. Sure. You know, more contact in the blades. Um, and then what's really changed, it seems like they're in pockets across the United States because if one guy has them, the other guy don't have any cells against my front discharge. But what's happening, and what I've seen pretty much in the market I'm familiar with, is the higher percentage of concrete going through a concrete pump. That being said, it makes no difference what you feed it with, whether it be a front or rear discharge. But the the initial investment is a lot higher. And the resale value yeah. drops right off. No, it's just it's it's always cracked me up, and I think that's you'll you'll have some regions that are all one way or the other, and I, I think largely it's because 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 the other guy has it, then then you have to have it too, right. which just cracks me up. All about marketing. It's yeah. also very expensive. Uh, the trucks are more expensive. They're more expensive to maintain. Uh, but once you have it and your competitor doesn't have it, you end up buying it to compete. So it's kind of like, I always refer to it as like a cancer, actually, because I never That's really true. liked front discharge because it, they're they're more expensive. We built front discharge too. For yeah. Well, and we've built them and I've operated them. Um, real familiar with them. Gotcha. Now, uh, what were the challenges going international? You know, being in the United States is one thing, going abroad's a whole other animal. What were the challenges there? Well, there's quite a few of them. Uh, first of all, understanding the culture of the different uh, uh, countries that you dealt with. Uh, first thing we did is we, uh, we went to uh, Mexico. We produced, uh, we actually pr- had a factory in Mexico where we produced all the mixers in Mexico. Uh, we sold most of our mixers uh Throughout Central and South America, we're all sold through our factory in Minnesota, though, because one of the things is ours, our, our trucks have wheels, so it's easier to ship to a port and ship it out than it is to manufacture. Uh, sure. We had a very ma- we were fortunate to live in Minnesota, where we have a very great uh, work ethic, and we had a very modern factory. So we had a um, we had a distribution that was really really well because we were all factory direct. 
We also had a, um, a manufacturing uh, facility here that was modern. Um, to give you an example, I, I spent a lot of time in China and, um, you know, the largest manufacturer in China, uh, mixer manufacturer in China, we produced what they produced in a year, we produced in two and a half weeks. Really? Yeah. Uh, because wow. of our productivity and how we operated and, and how we, uh, how we did our mixers. Um, we were the largest in the world. The next largest was a third of the size we were. And they were what in was, Germany. What, what were the keys to being that much more efficient than the other guys? Well, you know, frankly, uh, my brother and my dad walked through the plant every day, uh, spent huh. their time uh, uh, in the plant working, uh, always figuring out a better way to do it. Uh, I think robotics. factory automation was, uh, was yep. huge. We had factory automation. Um, as far as how to build the drums and towers, sophisticated structures and equipment and jigs to basically mass-produce components that are self-assembled. Mm-hmm. Sure. Combination. It, it's not one thing, it's many, and, and a lot of things leapfrogged into other ideas. That's that's amazing. Oh, is it annoying to you guys when people call them cement trucks instead of concrete trucks? <laughs> Depends if they're paying for them or not. Get their money. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> at, at, at what point do you guys determine you should sell the business? Because that's a pretty big decision. Well, we actually weren't planning on selling the business. We were actually planning on buying uh, the company who bought us. Your mixture division. Yeah, because because even though they were twice the size we were, we made three times the profit they did. Really? Yeah. And so basically, uh, they when we went to we talked to them about buying uh, buying them, and they said, "Come, let's talk." So we flew over there to visit with them, and they we sat down at the meeting and. And they said, we like the idea of our companies coming together, but we'd rather buy you than you buy us. And wow. uh, the meeting lasted about 10 minutes. It was really a short meeting. And, and they, uh, my dad says, we can't afford us. And, and he said, well, I think we can. And he said, I said, well, who are your bankers? He told me who the bankers were, and I knew who they were. And I said, well, if these guys told you they, got the mo- they can give you the money. And they go, yeah, we got, we got verbal from these bankers. And I says, well, looked at my dad and said, if the if those bankers said that they got the money that they can get the money they can get the money, and so uh, then uh, then they said how much do you want to sell, and we said uh, my dad looked at me and says how much do we want and I said well we need to go home and pray about it and think about it and and uh, we went home and two days later we came up with a price and we sent it to them and uh, a day after that they said okay no kidding and then it took then of course then the lawyers got involved and. That took sure. a few months, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's course. really uh, basically how it happened. And when when was this? This was uh, 99. 99, somewhere right in there. It's been a few years. <clears throat> been a while. Yeah. How did that change things for the family? Because it was a family business and probably well, pretty much all you guys talked about. Kind of, kind of what we did, though, it worked out. And I, I, I'd have to give it to my dad for being genius about this. It separated <laughs> us into different areas. And probably a good thing because we got our we, we get Irish, it. right? <laughs> in the lawn, yeah. Right. And so it worked out pretty good. And Denzel primarily buying and selling the trucks and marketing. And they, how important that is the marketing. It's a lead horse dog and everything. Um, my dad, he's pretty much in the factory. And I did uh, the mining operations, uh, you know, as far as the scheduling, the trucks, and then also the assembly, mechanical assembly and different things such as that. So we all kind of had our own separate areas. Which worked out pretty good. We called it the three-legged stool. Um, is basically because, how we caught it. Like I say, three Irish people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my uncle always jokes. He says you uh, never see a whole car, Carlo Irish people <laughs> on the road together. Don't <laughs> go different directions. Yeah, but you know, it's one thing. Like uh, branded, you know, our competitor, uh, one of our competitor, most of our competitors, it would take them a couple of weeks to process the paperwork. To be by the time the sales department got it until it got to the factory floor. Well, we didn't know any better because it was my brother and I, and so we just figured out a simple way to do it, and we could produce the product and have it to the customer quicker than our competitor could get it, get it, the paperwork to the factory. What, what's kind of crazy is is we started out with, like I say, mud flaps, straps, and card tables, organizing stuff, and we grew into what we call a magnet board system. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about it, 
if you have yourself 700 trucks that have eight to 12 different processes, you got to keep track of where they're at to make all the gears come together. And uh, we had a kind of an interesting setup that was didn't have a computer. Right. We yeah, we did it we all didn't manually. Have, we didn't have computers back then. Yeah, we really? did. And, and it actually, we think it, it forced us because we had this great big, huge magnet, uh, board. magnet board that was probably – Oh, 40 feet long, uh, probably. Walls covered with different boards. 40 feet long that and was floor to ceiling. No, we call it the boardroom or the war room. One war, the we call it the war room because that's where we always argued. Boardroom. That's how we kept track of things. And we dealt with people, and this is kind of interesting. Hardworking people, but you got to organize them. They can't read. Some can't read. And we'd go with color codes or you go with different things to basically, you know, because everybody has a system. You got a lead horse. We put the orders up left to right. Who's going to do what to make all the gears come together in the sequence of events? I'm prepping trucks, whether it be axles or painting cabs or building drums or pedestals or whatever, to have all that tied together in the end. It's uh, you got a lot of balls in there. Would you guys paint the mixer trucks yep. for whatever customer yep. you're delivering them? Yep. yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we had a painting facility. I don't know how many oh, trucks. We had on, kept on adding on cheap yeah. paint for. We went with uh, Dulux, and then we went with Centauri, and then Emron, Emron 5000, the VOCs. Yeah. And we went to a bacon oven to get them done through faster. Uh, addition after addition has always been a bottleneck. Yeah. Paint is always a bottleneck. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. always has been. But you might get a situation where you, a guy brings in a cab with a truck. About half the trucks we had customers supplied, the other half the trucks we supplied, about 50 50. We had to match cabs, or you got to. Diamond configuration, a swirl configuration, or whatever the case may be, and you got to transpose information from a pre-existing truck to something you're going to build. It might be a different size of mixture, so mm-hmm. you have to go through them, figuring that out. Because the biggest issue you had there is you had to wait for the paint to dry, and uh, that's that always takes time. Yep. So every time for production, a paint job, I always look at paint job as far as the color need to match, and then how many days it got to go through paint. You know, if you have yourself three different colors, two different colors, you have to spray your base coat and mask. And so you always figure that in on time it takes to complete a job. Some of them get pretty elaborate, too. Yep. I've seen some some pretty fancy mixture yeah. trucks. Yeah. yeah. I think right now it's changed. Uh, decals. Decals are the biggest thing that helps. Yep. Sure. It's a lot decals, easier yeah. and quicker. Yep. With computers and decals, and it's amazing what they can do. Yeah, I saw one. It was And it was a decal. It was in Vancouver, Canada. It was a mixer truck with asparagus on it. I don't know why, but it had asparagus okay. all the way around, all the way around the the drum. That's interesting. <laughs> I actually have, now that I think about it, I have a, a mixer truck, a granite rock. Do you guys? Yep. Granite rock, yeah, granite sure. Rock? Yeah, I have a granite rock mixer truck model on my desk, ah. and it's that that dark green with the the orange, orange stripe on it. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've worked with oh, them for a while now, and they. They have, I don't know how many mixer trucks that are all over the place. Mm-hmm. The, it, it is quite interesting. I mean, it, honestly, I don't think a lot about mixer trucks frequently, but this is, it's, it's concrete is the most utilized building material in the world and it has to get there somehow. And so without a mixer truck, you're not doing a whole lot. That's a pretty critical part of building anything, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing about three mix business, you look at it, it's very fortunate they're not able to do it ahead of time, put it in a container and ship it over from China. In other words, it needs to be locally because generally you got about a one hour time in the drum. You have to have it poured and finished roughly, you know, depending Correct. on the noise. But it can't be pre-done and brought in from other means, such as a block manufacturer. Sure. Any other type of commodity. Now, how? what are you guys' opinions on American manufacturing? Because you guys were an American manufacturer. And that's a hot topic these days is, hey, we need to build more in the United States versus building, you know, abroad. And you said you guys had some manufacturing in Mexico as well. What what are your thoughts on on building in America? What are the challenges and what are the benefits? Well, yeah, well we can get political. You want us to get political we're, 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 or? We're, we're, no, 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 just, just pro-American. We're, 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 we're very pro-American. American. Actually, very concerning that American industry is leaving us. Very concerned about that. We need to, yeah. uh, you know, I, I firmly believe Americans' ingenuity. I believe the hardworkingness of the plants. I believe that uh, people, uh, if we can, if we can play on a, on an even playing field, we can compete anywhere in the world. Sure. I really believe that. Uh, we we approved that. We were able to compete anywhere in the world, even with some of the obstacles that we have in this country. 
but all in all, I think that American in- ingenuity, I think we need to have uh, dramatically more invested into America and whatever we need to do to keep American industries in place. You know, the problem we run into is that, you know, a lot of com- a lot of our competitors around the world, uh, they play by a different set of rules, rules. than we do. Yeah. You know, if we if you give me the same rules, I'll compete against anybody anytime. And I'm, I, you know, even if you give us one high tan tied behind our back, we can usually compete. But, you sure. know, when you're starting to put in all these regulations, all these rules, all these things that, uh, that really hurt, uh, American industry, we have to figure out a way to, uh, to, to navigate through that. And sometimes it's just not cost effective to do it. You know, one thing we got to remember is that everything has to have, no, it, you have to go to the numbers. I'm mm-hmm. a banker, but you have to really go to numbers to make it work. And, and you know, you can, you can talk all you want to about subsidies and this type of thing, but you really have to have it economically driven when it's all said and done. With going to your father, what, what were some of the characteristics that made him who he was? Hard work, hard work, common uh, sense, common sense. Listening to customers, uh, you know, there, there's a whole secret. I'll never forget a gentleman told me one time I was uh, sitting in an airplane and I happened to sit next to the, he got bumped from his first class seat and was sitting next to me and I had my marketing book out. And uh, he said, he's, and he was the uh, uh, head of Pepsi's uh, marketing division. And he got bumped and he had to sit next to me. He wasn't too happy, but I was happy he sat next to me. <laughs> and he said to me, Sonny, you want me to teach you the secret of marketing? You take that whole book and just throw it all away. And I won't use the words he used because it, we, we're on a, a telecast. But sure. uh, he, and he, I, said, uh, I said, yes, sir, I'm right, all listening. I pulled up my book and he said, it's real simple. Give the customer more of what he wants and less of what he doesn't want. If you do those two things, you'll be successful. And that's basically what we did is we just listened to our customers. We designed what they wanted. We listened to what they wanted and built what they wanted. So, you know, when I go out to Long Island, I'd meet one of the largest customers out there and, and he would complain about our pricing or complain about this, about, I said, well, you help build this. I mean, it's your, it's your mixture. You know, you help design this and you help design that. You know, what, what do you want me to take off of my pricing to give you what you want? And then he'd, cuss at me and buy the mixer, you know, and, 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 you know, in all fairness, our mixer was the most expensive mixer in the market. Uh, but we were the lowest cost over the lifetime by 50% of our competitors. Really? Yeah. Because of our, because of our production, because of how we, I mean, what our design, because of our parts availability, our price of our parts, uh, all those things played into a factor, uh, and longevity and how it was used. So that uh, at the end of the day, you know, when we sold our business, um, we had over ninety uh, percent of the mar- U.S. market, and uh, we were really blessed. But we, we, were, we, we um, but it was because we had great customers and uh, great employees and a great team that worked together to to make that work. And um, I think that's what's so important is we listened to our customers and built what the customer wanted. Is I guess one of the the misconceptions I see a lot about the blue collar world is people think that people are they're they're not as smart as the rest of the world because they're not formally educated or whatever it is, but they're they're a lot of times simpler. I mean, they pour concrete, move dirt. It's a simpler world, but they're they're very very that's, very clever. That's, that is that so, is so untrue. I, I work with people all the time and never judge a book by its cover. Sure, you know, of course, you know, I, I work on both sides of the fence. You know, I, I deal with the people that, you know, what, of course, especially when I was in the in the mixer side of things, you know, I dealt with the, the CEOs of uh, major corporations. I dealt with uh, Wall Street. I dealt with bankers and uh, all the way down to people that just uh, had a simple ready mix operation. And I'll tell you, um, there, there, there's a lot of intelligence out there. It's just a matter of what we're we're. Where is it? And what I mean by that is you have emotional intelligence, you have book intelligence. You know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of high degrees, but they couldn't get out of the rain. Sure. You know, and uh, and we always said we had these farm boys who didn't know they couldn't do something because they weren't educated. So they figured out how to get things done. And so they were able to accomplish things that uh, other people couldn't accomplish. It took my father five years to get through high school. You know, so I mean... 
Well, I'm moving around. <laughs> I'm moving around That's a lot in the in the discussion, yeah. but yeah. but it's um, it is that's so untrue. And and the other thing yeah. too is that you know, especially in today's world, uh, being having a great uh, manual job, you're actually you'll be able to uh, you have a better lifestyle. You'll be able to um, uh, financially, you'll be better off. Um, Brandon, I mean, what you know, you take a, a truck driver how much are they making an hour i mean it's just i'm paying white people forty dollars forty dollars an hour is that right yeah uh, that's pretty good that's pretty good yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. It's, it's interesting yeah. but what i think is a real niche in the market um as far as you go out there and physically get something done i think there's there's two uh, the pendulum starting to swing back i think the other direction of those people looking for skilled people that physically can do something produce something i think you got too high a percentage of people that know how to play on computers and don't know how to physically mm-hmm. do anything yeah. And I think we're starting to see that in young people today. Correct. Um, well, and it's it's an increasingly virtual world, but it's still a physical world. Okay. It's like, it's okay, real. cool, you, internet and everything yeah. like that. But if you're not pouring concrete, no one's getting anywhere. You can't drive anywhere. You know where to live. There's there's nothing to do if you don't have concrete. A lot of different things, whether it be paving, roads, building structures. You know, it's yeah. the foundation. If you look, it's a, it's a fantastic product, actually. You know, is, it, is it pretty cool to think how many how many things you guys have had of small piece in making happen because you've built the mixer trucks that have delivered the concrete to whatever projects it I never is. Never really thought about that. I always thought, thought um, you know, I always figure it's not what we do. It's what the market allows us to do. That's, you know, how, you, how we got to look at it. We were very fortunate. We worked hard to try to make a product uh, that the market was accepted, but the market allowed us to do what we did. Sure. Why well, get back into the ready mix? Ready mix business, quarrying business, that kind of thing. What's that? Well, why, why after post sale, you know, oh, you said you got back into ready well, mix. And- you know, like I say, I think it was 40 years old. I needed to go back to work and do something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, at the time 20 years ago. But um, I had interest in the ready mix business, I guess. Um, it's what we knew, what I knew. And, um, you know, like I say, I've been fortunate to have five different locations. Uh, small mining operation, um, growing the business and trying to understand the marketing of uh, ready-mix concrete as far as supplying the product to a timely fashion, a consistent mix between the loads. So if you have a multi-load, you're trying to finish, you got a wet load, a dry load, or a hot load, or one that sets off on the timing, it's very critical. We're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of more consolidation with our customers probably over the last 10 years. And you've seen more... Not so many smaller guys out there as you used to, probably more consolidation on the crews. We're seeing a higher percentage of, uh, of concrete going through a concrete pump as far as being placed through a concrete pump. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that for labor savings and also accessibility. Where prior to 20 years ago, the only time you've seen a concrete pump would be a commercial job. Uh, sure. Currently right now, look at every week. I probably, every week I take a look at the numbers, but probably somewhere between 20% and as high as 50%. It's always in that range as far as what percent of concrete goes through a concrete pump. And I have five of them, five of them in a trailer pump. So I guess five and a half concrete pumps. Yeah, it's interesting. The other day I was, I called uh, my brother up and I said, hey, I saw a concrete pump on a job. What in the world is that concrete pump doing on that job? There's no reason for it. It's it's about labor savings. Yeah, it's labor savings, you know. And what and I never thought of that. Yeah, out there, these guys they they can't get the labor, and also a lot of these guys are getting more astute to know. Okay, and I got four or five different guys in the crew, and what I have to pay them, counting the, the withholding taxes, it cost me so many dollars an hour. If I can rent this piece of equipment and save myself time, my overall net cost to place this job is going to be more cost effective. Sure. Yeah. Where you said you said there's a lot of consolidation happening, which I've noticed too, and I think it's only increasing, especially ready mix. It's like right down the street we have SRM, and they've been buying everybody and their mother. It seems like in this part of the the country, uh, why why is there so much consolidation are you, these are you days? Talking about producers or the guys finishing concrete? Just in general, I mean contractors, ready mix companies. It's just across the board. Um, I can't speak. I would have to say there's there's some scales of to consolidate gives you more purchasing power, power um, gives you more opportunity to obtain potentially aggregate reserves, uh, definitely in Portland powder or storage. Um, 
you can take, let's say, hypothetically, if you have yourself a uh, general area that you, let's just say you have an area that's uh, laid out about 45 by 45 miles, and you have big jobs that happen, you can pull trucks to different jobs to take care of customer needs. Agriculture has changed. For example, we used to do a lot of small jobs out farm, family farms. Now you have nothing out there except large jobs. So if I have a job, say, in Austin, Minnesota, which is 45 miles away from Rochester, I don't have enough trucks in Austin, so I'll take a pull of trucks from Stewartville and or Rochester to put on a $500 hog pit job or something like that. So sure. You just can't service the bigger jobs unless you have yourself a lot of equipment. A lot of equipment, you got to have a lot of yards through your equipment for, to make, you know, make them pay as far as yards per man and so forth. So there's, there's um, economics in yeah. Um, I'm assuming, do you guys have kids? Yep. What are you guys trying to teach your, your kids or have taught your kids growing up, you know, being through the life you guys have lived and growing up with, with your dad? What are you trying to teach them? How are you trying to teach them? Well, now we're starting into our grandchildren. <laughs> grandchildren. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. my, my, we, old, my oldest boy is going to turn 40 pretty soon. Yeah. Oh, now, sure. now, one thing's uh, interesting about Justin's oldest son is Justin's oldest, oldest son, him and his partner are now the, they started a re, ready mix manufacturing facility. And uh, they're now the largest uh, mixer manufacturer in the United States. Yeah. It's changed. Really? Yeah. yeah. So Brandon's son is now uh, uh, in a re- manufacturing mixers. My uh, my son works with me in the banking business with my son-in-law. Good grief! So you guys, I mean, this this is really a family business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty cool. It's a pretty cool story. That's a I I had no idea. I'd never heard that story before. Yeah. So uh, my. Um, Grant, uh, Brandon's son, who's almost 40 now, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, they manufacture uh, concrete mixers and they have distribution across the United States. And that's um, um, been a real blessing. I guess there's no non-compete to worry about anymore, huh? What's that? There's no, there's no non-compete to worry about anymore. No, huh? no. We, Grant didn't have one. Grant never had yeah. one. Brandon and I had, a, we, had we had 15 year, we had a 15 year we non-compete. Have, we never did. And we never, sure. we never were involved in it at all. Uh, I made sure I, I never even set foot in a ready. I, I may have went and visited one of our customers one time at a ready mix operation, but I tried to, yeah. I honored my, I completely honored my you keep, non-compete. Yep, we gave our word. word. You got to do it. It's kind of how we looked at it. Understood. My father, he only had five years. Yeah, five so, or 10? Five. Point. He had five years. And so then he started helping your, your son then after that. Yeah, did he ever slow down post retirement? No, 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 no. He's still, uh, he's still, he's still probably, he's probably at the manufacturing plant right, right now, now as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, you know, the thing is, there's nothing in the Bible that says you're supposed to retire. You know, and uh, yeah, I thought I wanted to retire. That lasted for about two weeks. Sure. And then I looked at it boring. I didn't know what to do. You know, I was used to, uh, I was pretty busy, and so then all of a sudden I thought, oh, it'd be so wonderful to to not be so busy. And then I was so bored. My wife looked at me and said, this is your office and I'm not your secretary. Go get an <laughs> office and go get a secretary. <laughs> so that I got, how's your dad? What's that? How's your dad now? How's your dad? My dad is uh, 84, 83, 83, 84, 38. Okay. 83. 83 and still going, huh? Yeah. Every day. <laughs> and he's developed a lot of really unique products since he sold the business. Uh, he developed a school that can be built in one day, uh, churches, Structure. structures, and he, uh, he he built a medical. We do a lot of things with uh, education in third world countries. And so uh, he puts it into containers and ships it over there, and then they construct it. And he's in over 7,000 of those across the world. And, wow. uh, really helped with building schools, mainly in third world countries yep. where uh, education is a problem and go in. And I've, I've been in some of these places in Africa, for an example, where, you know, the, the buildings are just unbelievable and they have just almost no materials and just, you know, you see kids on top of kids. and So we can go in and within two weeks, we can build a um, we can build a school that can house 
about between four and 600 kids. It's a different type of construction. It's a different construction, but because one of the things you have to do in those countries is get in and out quickly because that's where your costs really go up. And so we do everything by containers. Permitting issues. Yeah. You don't have the issues you have here in this country for for permits and things like that. But but the biggest thing is, is you get the school and they have a, have uh, campuses. Um, And uh, it's really been pretty, pretty fascinating. He still does that. He gets on his iPad. He knows how to run an iPad and he has a crew overseas in different places. And he, they, they show him what he's doing. And then he instructs them on how to lay out the school and things like that. And we've got teams over there in different parts of the world that do that as well. Wow. Wow. Well, I, um, I appreciate you guys sitting down with us for a second here today. I know you guys have a lot going on, so I really uh, sincerely appreciate appreciate your time. No problem. Happy yeah. to. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much. And what's the um, that your ready mix company now? What's it called? A ready mix concrete company. Yeah. yeah ready mix concrete. That's oh, just ready, ready mix. Concrete ready mix concrete yeah. out of Rochester, yep. Minnesota. Yep. Rochester, two other locations. All right. Well, if we uh, if we end up uh, up there one of these days, yeah. we'll we'll look you up. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and. Our bank is actually less than a mile from his office. And what bank is that? Uh, Sterling State Bank. Sterling State yeah. Bank. We're really blessed. Gotcha. We started, we bought the bank. It was a uh, 20, um, $26 million bank, and we just hit $500 million this last month. That's not bad. So we've been really blessed. That's not bad at all. So we've, been, we've grown as well, and uh, so it's really been a blessing to be part of this community. Super. Well, I, um, yeah, like I said, I appreciate, appreciate you guys sitting down with us and I'll, um, you know, next time I'm up in that area, it'll be every once in a while, I'll look you up and yeah, we'll wait, we waits, uh, real close to us. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They, yeah, they have, they have some presence in Rochester. Yep. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, so, it, just, uh, just, uh, North of Brandon and not, I bet it's less than a mile from my office here. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I'll look you guys up. Okay. Real good. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you.